Hi there, this is just to let you know that after the end of the podcast, stick around and you'll hear myself and Stu give a Thor 4 review. Spoiler free. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's doing well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Keeping splendid, I hope you all are. We all are, yes, we are. <laughs> That's very kind of cryptic for this time of the morning. Um, hello everyone. It was almost Yoda-esque, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. I wasn't sure where I was going with it, if I'm perfectly honest, but <laughs> we, we move. <laughs> Uh, so, because we are now in June, yes, we're now in July. So, last year, what we did was we did a review of the previous six months. Rather than doing it in a top five style, like we'll save that for the 2022 review, uh, I thought we'd just have a look at a few different genres of film and you tell me what you've enjoyed in that genre this year. Uh, so, we're ready to roll on this, though, and then, gents. Yeah, man. There's, uh, it's been nice to have a bit of a retrospect to the last. Uh, six months and you know doing so I went through my history on the Cineworld emails for tickets and my Netflix history and god there's a reason why I'm overweight because I watch <laughs> far too much I watch far too much television and film and you like um like a, a film tracker app thing that I saw it a few months ago and then I forgot all about what it was actually called it's like the um, the football ground one that you just tick off what you've watched or something like that there's that letterbox, that's, isn't there? Yeah, that that's people it, use. That's the one. I, I did open the cage fighting letterbox thing like in the first week of the year, and then immediately forgot about it. I mean, that would have been a good idea to be fair, but no, that went immediately by the wayside. Would it's you... too much effort to like write a full fucking review for three hundred films a year. It's just too much to do. Mm, this was in the. This was like in one of those scenarios where I thought I'm going to start writing about different beers that I've tried and then realize how tragic that is. <laughs> so I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so next week, what we'll do is we'll have a look at the second half of 2022 because back in January, we did the first six months. So we've got the next six months to discuss. Uh, but obviously this week, as I said, we're going to look at a few genres. So to start off, I want you to tell me something wholesome and family friendly that you've seen in the past six months either on streaming or in the cinema that you think everyone with you know a wholesome bone in their body needs to watch Stu, start us off nice and easy this one was sonic 2 um no it had no right to be as good as it was especially how much we loved the first one as well mm. um and we kind of it took everyone by surprise after the initial well or if it was actually a mistake with that original Sonic character, which has made a reappearance since. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I th- they outdid the first film, which is astonishing, really. And I've watched it three times this year so far. So yeah, uh, it's it's Paddington 2 for the, this generation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great choice. You are right, though. I mean, they got away with it first time, and I can't believe they managed to get away with it for a second time. As you say, it had no right to be anywhere near as good as it was. We all know that films based on computer game franchises are generally dog shit. And they've just stolen that award twice. 
So, yeah, fair play to him. Matt, what's your wholesome, fem- family-friendly film of the year so far? Well, I, sh- I struggled with this because I don't watch anything wholesome, generally speaking. <laughs> um, but uh, I mentioned it maybe a, maybe a month ago or so, um, the the limited series um, Our Great National Parks on Netflix. Yeah. Um, so for those who didn't hear that episode, essentially it's... Um, not, I won't go as far as to say a David Attenborough-esque show, but it's... Um, Barack Obama, that silky-voiced son of a bitch, he narrates the um, he narrates the show and talks about the, the national parks up and down the um, the world that um, keep endangered species going and try to educate the world really on on all of these different animals and and, and make them accessible for generations to come, which all sounds great. But they, it tells you the stories of like some of these animals and how they. Um, how clever they are and how really bizarre their circumstances are. And they work together and communicate with other animals and stuff like that. Literally talk to each other. It's just, it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It's beautifully shot. It, the colors pop out the screen so much, especially if you've got the luxury of watching it in 4k and it's, um, they personify a lot of it. They, they, you know, they talk about some of the animals as if they're human in a way, which gives it a bit more of a child-friendly side of it because it's a lot more relatable if you personify something. So I think it's something all of the family would enjoy, not just keen animal lovers. Does sound excellent, that one does. I added it to my list, but then my list sort of got overtaken with the boys and Stranger Things and all those things. Mm-hmm. So I just haven't got around to watching that one yet. Uh, my list, it had two films on. One of them was going to be Sonic 2 for everything Stu said about it. Uh, the only other film that I've seen that would be considered family-friendly was the other film that Stu hinted at, and that would be Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And it was just such a marvellous, fun, wonderful film. I, I really... Like, I went in hoping it was going to be good. I like Andy Samberg. I like John Mulaney, who did the voice of Chippendale. So I thought it'll be fine, if nothing else. And then they shoehorn in so many cameos... And, like, how did they get a Transformer in there? How did they get Batman in there? It's a Disney-funded project. And they managed to get all these cameos in from all across the world. And, of course, they had Ugly Sonic, who was even... That's now his name is Ugly Sonic, not even just, you know, former Sonic. So it was such a wonderful and funny tale that you like you loved the characters who were there, especially if you knew them from your childhood. I think you'll properly go through this, this journey with them. Mm. But I think if you don't know them, I think if you're new to them, this would be a wonderful introduction to them because they're so likable and silly and fun that I can't imagine that kids wouldn't immediately love them. And of course the voice acting from the, the pair or previously mentioned and Will Arnett was the voice of, um, the Peter Pan character, I can't. Uh, what oh, was it? Something Pete. I can't remember what the, his the character name was, but he was basically Peter Pan, and he played a wonderful sleaze ball like only Will Arnett can. So it was great. Such a really good, fun movie, like a proper romp through my childhood. So yeah, it was it was perfect. I thought it was an absolutely wonderful film. Uh, we'll go to the extreme now. So we'll go from family friendly to something that's not really for everybody. So I want something that's bloody, visceral or nasty. It can be a horror. It can be a particularly horrendous action movie, whatever you want. Matt, what have you got on your list? So this isn't particularly 
extremes of any of those from a visual point of view. But what it did, what this show did to me in terms of how it made me feel and put me on edge and it made me feel uncomfortable and um, tense. Um, and that would be the last and final series of Ozark. Mm. It really, um, it, it had a, it had a few kicks that I didn't think in the stomach that I didn't think it would have. And um, it was a really uh, blunt end to a series that really impressed. Like it got to like breaking bad territory of, of what the impression it had on me and this show. And the, the whole program was just met with this, I can't even say cult because I don't think it's as universally loved to call it cult, but it's a real sleeper. Like uh, not as many people are into Ozark as I expect that they would be given the quality of the program. And there are some really shocking moments in it and some real, some real violence and some real, um, the, the, the nastiest side to humanity. And um, this series was no exception. I thought it was excellent. Sleeper does seem to be the right word because I've heard a few people talk about it and the people I've heard talk about it, they don't just like it, they love it, like it's Mm. exceptional. But there aren't many people who seem to have seen it. I know I haven't got around to watching it yet. Um, I don't feel like Netflix did a particularly great job in advertising it either. I don't feel like, like Stranger Things has been on billboards and everything everywhere for pretty much the last five years. Um, Whereas Ozark, it's one that you might hear someone mention it on Twitter occasionally. It's definitely one of those that it's only got any form of popularity by the snowball effect and word of uh, word of mouth. Mm, because absolutely. like you say, if, you know, I know that Bateman isn't exactly a, um, an A-lister or doesn't, you know, I, I, the vast majority of people that aren't massively into film, I don't, or TV, I don't think they'd be able to tell you what his name is. They'd have seen him in something, no mm. doubt. Like that, but that that might have just been watching Paul or something else. Like it's not going to have been for anything, you know, that he was actually decent in or that he was hilarious in to the point where you know Arrested Development or anything else. Um, so it's a strange one, but yeah, Ozark was um, Ozark was excellent this series and topped off um, a, a fantastic show that if you've not seen, you you know you owe it to yourself to watch. Stu, what have you got to say? I mean. I- it's the same thing with Ozark. It's always been there with for me. It's always been, I think, from season one, it's been on the wish list and it's never got watched, not once. Mm. Um, again, don't know why, because it's it sounds exactly like something that I'd love and get obsessed with. So I think it might have just got, just got to the point where it had gone past that point of, oh, there's only eight or oh, there's only 12 or 16 or whatever, and mm. now it's a full-time commitment, so... Maybe it was that. Um, for the topic, though, I mean, to preface this, I've seen the first two of season four of Stranger Things, and this already category <laughs> ticks the box of this category straight away. <laughs> um, wasn't expecting it to go that way, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, other than that, men. Absolutely mm. fucked up to the extreme. <laughs> You don't want to watch kids watching this, or pensioners, as we talked about at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, just really, really messed up, gory, horrible nastiness uh, for the sake of it. Um, but yeah, it was good. And the other one was Mad God, which I, mas- I lasted 20 minutes of, which is a stop-motion, weird nonsense on Shudder. Again, the technology's great. Not really my thing. More for Tara, really, even though it's stop motion. I've got it on my list to watch. I just haven't got around to it. 
basically because you said you only lasted 20 minutes. I thought, well, I need to give it a try and see if I can last a bit longer. So, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to that one. On my list, I've got two films. Um, Men was like an outside bet. It was between Men and Amulet because I felt they were both very similar films, both with this really fucking weird left turn that comes out of nowhere at the end. I mean, that that final sequence in Men... um, The birthing sequence, shall we call it, is like nothing I've ever seen before in anything. It was just, it was wild. I'm just not sure that men lampooned the target that he was aiming for. That's my only real issue with it. I've not quite come to grips with it yet for some reason. I'm still still percolating. I haven't quite got to the, the answer on it. Uh, but the, the one film that I absolutely adored in, in the horror-ish genre this year has been The Black Phone, the uh, Joe Hill film that was out uh, a couple of three weeks ago at this point. Um, Ethan Hawke is phenomenal in this role. Ethan Hawke's not someone I've ever... Like, you never look at him and think he's a physically imposing character. But there's this one scene where the... Uh, obviously, um, so to just lay the groundwork, a kid gets abducted, he's kept in the basement... There's one part where he tries to escape and the camera pans up the stairs as this kid is waiting at the bottom of the basement and you just see Ethan Hawke sat there without his shirt on, holding a belt, ready to beat the shit out of this kid if he tries to escape. And it's one of the most terrifying images I've ever seen. And it's just a man sitting there with a mask covering half of its face. The way he dominates the screen the tension that he manages to ratchet up with absolutely nothing going on other than just a camera panning is incredible. It's uh, Scott Derrickson directed it, the guy who did the first Doctor Strange film. Um, I I really want to see more of his work in this field and less in the superhero field, if I'm perfectly honest. I thought it was fantastic, really good. And it's made me want to read some Joe Hill stuff. I I never quite got into Stephen King's novels. I I fairly enjoy his films, but... I quite, I want to give Joe Hill's work a chance and see what, what else he's got out there. It's brilliant. Yeah, the, the only reason that film is not on mine is because I haven't seen it yet. It, I should have watched it last week. Um, but from one thing led to another, and I, I, I missed out doing it. So it's definitely penciled in for next time. Um, but yeah, I, it was one of them where when you said that you were going to watch it and I was going to watch that absolute shit that was, well, spoilers for later on, um, <laughs> like, yeah, instead... Um, I thought, oh no, no one's going to want to watch this with me. I'll have to go on my own again. But apparently, my sister wanted to see the same thing, so well, that will be on the list. And I, I'm guessing it from a not from a gruesome point of view, but for a better film point of view, it, it it's more of this uh, category than uh, Men was. Um, it's probably more intense than it is bloody. There's a few mm. bits of blood and stuff in it, but you'll enjoy it. But it, it's got some of like the creepiest, most tense scenes that I've seen in, in any genre this year. I thought it was really well done. Uh, so we'll go from the nasty to the nice. Give me something funny. My answer, there's, there's only one film really that immediately sprang to mind for me. And it was Jackass Forever. It was the funniest thing I've seen this year. Whether it be on TV or in the cinema, I have absolutely adored it. I've watched it several times now, twice in the cinema. Which I don't, especially with comedies, I generally don't go and re-watch them at the cinema. But it was such a fantastic experience first time that I think I laughed all the way through. I wanted to see it again just so I could maybe take in a little bit more of what's going on rather than just giggling throughout. 
And I failed miserably because I just laughed all the way through my second viewing as well, which was just excellent. Um, and I watched it again on TV and the Jackass 4.5 documentary on the making of Jackass 4, which is on Netflix, which is a great sort of corresponding piece to go with it. But yeah, Jackass Forever, I think it's hilarious. And we spoke about it in depth at the time when it came out. I loved the camaraderie between the crew. It genuinely felt like it was a family reuniting after God knows how many years it's been at this point. And all of the stuff with Dark Shark, was it? The the one kid's dad who was <laughs> terrified of everything, but he was some he was some fucking gangbanger from he was in the crypts or the bloods or something. And he was terrified of birds and it was it was just so funny. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Stu, what's your uh, comedy of the year? Yeah, that was that was the first one written down straight away. It, it just had to be. Um but because of that, I mean there was two things that Made me laugh to the point of a, a small piece of piece almost squeezed out for laughing, laughing too much. And the other one was um, Supernature with Ricky Gervais on Netflix, which I know it is what it is. You either, you either love him or hate him. You either get that kind of comedy or not. But for the absolute give no fucks about everything whatsoever, I loved it. And... <laughs> It was one of them. There's no point anymore trying to say, "Oh yeah, well, you, if you like it, if you like this," because people have made their mind up on Ricky Gervais now. It's, it is what it is. You either like him or you don't. Um, but for me, next to Jackass Forever, that was the funniest thing I've seen in the last six months, easily. Mm. Um, I know we spoke about it briefly in our group chat. I just don't buy him as a stand-up comedian. I, I quite like his. You know, as a writer, director, even as an actor, I think he's fine. Um, his, his actual stand-up, it just leaves me cold. I just don't think he's that good a stand-up, unfortunately. Matt, what are your thoughts on, on Gervais? Um, I echo you, really, in that I think he's he's everything other than his stand-up I, I enjoy. I don't think his stand-up is, is bad, but he is about as broad as an edgy comedian is... Do you know what I mean? He mm-hmm. is, he is, um, how, do I do, how would I describe it? He's the Coca-Cola of edgy, edgy comedians. Or, he, he, you know, he's, he's the Peter K of edgy, edgy comedians. Mm. It's, it's, it, he's, he's not cool edgy at all. He's, um, do you know what I mean? He's corporate edgy, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. yeah. And his act hasn't changed at all throughout his entire stand-up career. And I think it's just a bit tired now, personally. Mm. Um, but I also think, you know, he does hit some really funny notes in his stand-up as well. I get it. But it was really, it felt edgy back in the day when it started with like politics and like the animal one. It was animals, was it called? Yeah. And that felt like, re- but then when it's the same shtick about 20 years later that hasn't changed a bit, I think like time's moved on now and comedy's moved on from his from his thing. And, you know, the the biggest fan of Ricky Gervais is Ricky Gervais. Mm. And that's and like that smugness, like it's funny at first, but after a while it just gets annoying. Mm. Stand ups who laugh at their own jokes are like just fucking anesthesia for me. They just knock me out completely. Take me mm. out at the moment. And, and that's what he does, and it just it doesn't work for me. But he does have this proper almost obsessive base audience who just adore everything he does, whether it's on screen or, or on on stage. Um I mean, fair play to him. He's obviously cornered his market, but yeah. It's like when I when I say that about him being so broad, I, I can understand it because 
some of the stuff, the TV shows like Derek and Afterlife, as good as they are, God, they're like they're so sanitized and so happy underneath the mm. misery that's going on to the point where it feels like I'm watching Christian TV or something. <laughs> like it's 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 like it's too it's too much. Yeah, it's too, it's like it's like drinking straight Ribena. He can be so saccharine, Carnage, in points. Like, he does like to ram home the, the happy ending, I think, a little bit too much. I liked it in the office, but then with Derek, like, Derek just took it too far for me. That I think that's one of the worst things he's done, and one of the worst things most people have ever done ever. It was awful. Yeah, he kind of went full retard with Derek. You never go full retard, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so, what have you got on your list for your comedy, Matt? So, I too went for um, Jackass. There was no, was, nothing came close to what made me belly laugh the most this year so far. Um, but like a couple of other things on my list, it felt this this year so far has felt like the rise of when I say the bros, I don't mean that in a, in, in the bad connotation that that sentence would usually bring. But I've seen a lot of shows that are about the coming together of men and what the relationships that men have with their friends means to them and how important it is. And, you know, men rightly or wrongly are very pack animals and we need, you know, we don't do well in solitary, you know, in confinement and, and, and being in solitary as it were. Um, and, and Jackass forever was another example of that, that, you know, yes, it might be stupid, but like boys need their boys sometimes. And <laughs> this was another example of that, that like, this community that come together um, to do something so stupid, yet it's probably really enriching for them as well as like you know, very cathartic. Even if they are getting their testicles stapled or whatever they do. Okay, so that was something funny. Um, now I want something that kicks ass. You can take that however you want it, whether it's something within the comic book realm, whether it's something that's violent. However you define the term, kick ass. Tell me something that's kick-ass. Matt, start us off. It's probably the biggest slice of humble pie I'll be eating this year, and that was um, my pre-opinions of, of Top Gun Maverick. It was just, it, it's about, like I said at the time and after, it's as perfect a blockbuster as a blockbuster can be. It's it's not challenging in the least, intellectually or anything like that, but it's not even like keep your brain at the door stupid though either. Like, it's just... It's just an unreal, adrenaline-filled romp of a film that almost, almost would have me go USA, USA at the end <laughs> because it's like, you know, it bleeds Americana as well. It's nostalgic, but not too much. The scenes are incredible. Audio and visually, it was brilliant. And um, it's everything that a blockbuster like that needed to be. The only difference, it, it wasn't released on like Independence Day. Which would be the only thing that would probably have, have took it that one step further. I yeah. couldn't have held, held on a few weeks. <laughs> Stu, try to keep it in your pants, but Top Gun, it's great, isn't it? Let's be honest. Told you, didn't I? You just don't listen to me. <laughs> I, I, even I didn't think it was as good as it was. Um, easy, easy win for that one. I mean, I did think for entertainment purposes and a film to leave your brain at the door was Uncharted. Because I, I love love the nonsense of it all, as I've said, ad nauseum on here. But yeah, clear winner for this category is Top Gun Maverick, and I'm trying to shoehorn it into other ones as well. But yeah, for pure 
absolute joy, entertainment, greatness, wherever you want, two hours, put that on. You ain't going to come away disappointed ever. It's just perfect. Yeah, uh, I'd got two answers on mine. Um, Top Gun wasn't one of them. I, I did enjoy it, but I knew that you pair would talk about it, so I thought there's no point to put it on my list. Uh, I've got The Boys. At the moment, at the time of recording, I've still got two episodes to watch before the the, the, the season's done and dusted. But the six episodes so far have been absolutely magnificent. They've been very much what you expect from The Boys, turn up to 11. It's the, the whole episode of the hero gasm, the superhero orgy that Ghost plays goes on. It's it's hilarious. The whole stuff with Mother's Milk when he gets covered in the jizz when he walks into that room. It's the just the outright stupidity that you expect from the boys, but with that message of the people that you think are the heroes necessarily aren't the heroes, which is sort of played out because it appears that some of the people in America who were rooting for Homelander have finally figured out that Homelander's actually the bad guy in that series. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been wonderful. And the other film is The Batman. Like The Batman had the biggest shoes to fill following on from Chris Nolan's work in the, the Dark Knight trilogy. And it managed to do it with a plum. And, you know, there are very few people who came out the other side criticising that film. And most of the criticism was particularly unjust, um, complaining that it didn't have jokes and stuff. Like, they, they were comparing it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which it very much wasn't. Um, this carried on what was established within the, the, the Dark Knight universe. And it was all the better for it by leaning into the the darker aspects of the character. Matt, I think you said at the time it was the first time that we've had a Batman where Batman was the mo- most interesting character on screen rather than his villains. Yeah, absolutely. It was the case that I know Batman is never the hindrance, but he's just the plot device in, in a lot of these <laughs> films for me. It's all about the villains and how, and how they respond and how interesting they are. But yeah, it, because of his clear vulnerabilities at this, this Batman, Pattinson's Batman, um, he was just a lot more interesting. It was a lot more interesting as a piece, and I'm looking forward to where it goes. I'm nervous about where it goes now because Pandora's box has been opened now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's to believe that it's Mr. Freeze, as, as I think the rumour is it's going around, I don't know how you do that without it being comic booky, which I don't want it to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, the only way I could see it is if they lean into he's just a scientist and he could be a terrorist with it, much like the Riddler's a terrorist, mm. rather than a camp idiot who dances around saying riddles whilst he's fighting people. Yeah, like, yeah. They, they just fundamentally change the character, and they would need to for, for Freeze. Because someone like Freeze, he's got the right, the right motivations to be a really interesting character in that world. I just don't want to see a Freeze Ray at the end of it. Yeah, if he, be campy and yeah, if he's just like an ecological terrorist, then that would work. Do you know what I mean? If if mm. if his intention was to do something that changed, uh, I don't know, cause not cause an ice age, but do something in Gotham that caused everybody to die, like pollute the water or something. I don't know. Um, then it's it, it comes back into the realms of believability, I suppose. Um, but then if it goes down the route of like you know he needs a suit. To live in coldness, then no, I'm not really mm-hmm. Stu, what what are your thoughts on the possible future of the the Reeves Bat universe? 
same really. I mean, I, I didn't want the um, the no canon. Is it not canon outtake of the Joker? It be that <clears throat> said it at the time. It, it just seemed a bit much. Just bringing him in again and again. Yet another version of it when there's there was no need at all. Um, if they keep it real, and he, I mean, the temptation is going to be there to go bigger. But I think the fact that it worked so well was the fact that he didn't go bigger until the last 20 minutes or whatever. So if they can keep the feet on the ground and do it properly, like the first one, then yeah, bring it on. Um, if they if they get kind of overexcited by the budget that they're obviously going to get now, mm-hmm. that's when you're going to start thinking, oh, no. But mm. there's, they've got no, got no reason to doubt them so far after that first one. So we'll see. Cool. So I want you to tell me now something that brought a tear to the eye, uh, something a bit weepier. Stu? I mean, it's not weepy per se. It made me tear up, which is a feat in itself. Um, and that was everything everywhere, everything everywhere, all at once. We can't really say why, can we? But it's just, I've never seen anything like it before. And I can't imagine seeing something like that again very soon at all it's even trying to think of it how to say how to even talk about it you kind of lose your words because it's just mad and there's moments in that film that for all the craziness and madness that's going on it's actually really sweet in parts and Mm, it it does it does kind of get to you and i remember i I think i'll I'll text nate after um seeing it i think this has actually made me put tears in my eyes i don't know what's happened to me <laughs> and obviously you wouldn't put this as a tear jerker i'll watch this with you with your bird on a friday night kind of thing and you know let's go back to the 70s with that sentence but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it got me in the feels and i don't know why it did but it did yeah i i loved it it was the um it was for, for all the the marvel that happens within it, all of the over-the-top madness. It was the scene towards the end where Joy... Is it Joy? It's, I can't remember if Joy was the main character or the daughter. Uh, whether, well, whatever. The main character was talking to her daughter and the main character was just accepting all her failures and trying to accept her daughter for not being who she wanted her to be. There was something about that scene that just broke my heart this person who would struggled throughout her adult life to get to where she is and not being fully happy with who she is at this point. And it was just, it was really sad, but really beautiful, her acceptance of the way things are. Because for all of the, the, the bluster and over the top that comes with that film, there's a real heart right at the centre of it that drives the plot to it. And that's the most important thing. Um, that that was on my list as well for one for for that moment. Um, not a lot has properly got me this year in those terms. There's one moment that really got me, and it was when we went to see Elvis film. Um, it was the scene after Bobby Kennedy had died when they were shooting the '68 comeback special, and then Elvis performs "If I Could Dream." Uh, that song is like proper hairs on the back of my neck standing up at the best of times let alone when it's on this massive screen and it's belting out at you and you've got this emotion of their world has just changed because of the death of a Kennedy and it 
I welled up at that point. I thought that was so well done. It's so marvellous. This just a black screen with the red writing of Elvis behind him and him giving it socks proper going for it. Um, and I never knew. Well, I'm mean, not I don't know if it's actually true because of I, the Elvis film is does give me the impression it's quite liberal with the truth of what actually happened. So I don't know if that performance actually was on the back of Bobby Kennedy's assassination or not. But in the film, I think it worked really well. So that that moment got me. I thought that was a really well done moment for me. Matt, anything weepy? Yeah, for for fear of giving away spoilers, I won't talk about Stranger Things. Um, but there were a few moments in that good, good and you know for for, for good and bad reasons. Um, why? But we'll discuss that given maybe a month's time to allow people to catch up. Um, but. I wouldn't necessarily say weepy, but there were some really sad and poignant moments in this um, final series of Peaky Blinders. Um, it was very sombre in parts and very um, it brought you down to earth very, very quickly. And there are some super sad moments in it as well. Um, what I will say about Peaky Blinders is I don't think I've experienced a finale to a show that was executed as, as perfectly as the last episode of the last series of Peaky Blinders. It was sensational. It it ticked every box in what you want in, in a finale. Um and it was it was it was perfect. It was really great. And they are doing a, a film about it now, what goes on, but it can go in so many different directions because of how it ended and all of the directions would make sense. It was really expertly done. And for what started off as a really dull start to the series, it ramped up towards the end and then it, it it's not often that it ties up all the loose ends so well without it feeling like they're just rushing an ending. And that's what they did with it. It's really good. Stu, you're a fan of Peaky Blinders, aren't you, if I remember correctly? I haven't been watching this last season now. For, oh, I Okay. For that reason, for we just said about the, the, for the reaction to the first few episodes. Because remember, I was going to go back and watch it all. I was going to watch the last one again. Because um, I'd watched all of them before that that one came out. Um, so I was pretty caught up anyway. And then the reaction was so kind of somber. I thought, oh, well, I can't be asked. <laughs> and then again, it got to the point where, oh, the point's passed now. I'll get to it whenever I get to it. And it just never happened. But I've, I haven't heard anyone talk about it at all, which is weird. Like This is the first time I've heard anyone say anything good about it. <laughs> which is never a good sign really but saying that though I've never, people haven't said bad things about it either it's like one of those things that it just came and went and I don't know how that happens in this day and age it didn't have the uh, call of duty no, um, line, of, call ju- of, line, duty. Of, ju- line, line of, of duty it didn't have that line of duty moment in pop culture did it whereas like that last season of line of duty it seemed like the whole of the UK was talking about it and Peaky Blinders never quite managed to capture the zeitgeist. And I don't know why it, it didn't, because it it seems very much like a, a similar show that it, it has a proper core audience. So, um... But the thing is, you've got like Peaky Blinders nightclubs up and down the country. They've got merchandise. They've got, like Everything was set up for it to be a massive like final series, but it just existed. It just came and went without a lot of fanfare. Um, and I don't know if it's just the BBC to blame for that, really, because 
I don't think it was hyped very much that it was coming back or anything like that. Maybe people were just exhausted. Maybe people are just exhausted with the amount of content that there is available at the moment. Like, mm. I'm so far behind in things that are day one releases for me, like the boys and everything else that like I should have finished by now, but I just don't have the time when there's like, you know, Stranger Things, he's pumping out two and a half hour episodes and do you know what I mean? It's it's hard to find the time. It really is. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so I want something romantic now. As you would put it, what would you watch with your bird on a Friday night? <laughs> Matt, what, what, what's been romantic in 2022? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, do, I don't do romance in, in any sense of the word, I suppose. <laughs> um, but so this is romantic in the bromantic kind of way. And... Um, that would be the the unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, it, it was um, it was excellent as like a, as like a buddy bromance kind of film goes. Um, I've had people just through proxy of knowing what we do as this podcast message me and say, "Oh, I've seen it! Like I finally seen it. It was really good and it was really funny and it was, but it had like this sweet core undertone of like what made um, I love you, man." so special in that yeah it's slapstick comedy and it's it's funny on a base level but underneath it there's a really sweet story there as well mm-hmm. that's really relatable and it's the same with it's the same with unbearable weight to be honest it was um it, it, it it's like a, like an like shrek would say it is an onion with many layers mm, really is I, I was struggling to like find a, a place in the the list to fit unbearable weight in but I'm glad you've managed to do it because it was something that we, we do need to talk about because it's such a wonderful movie that's made a, a massive impact this year. Because there are still the people who think of Nicolas Cage as the guy who did The Wicker Man rather than the guy who did Pig. Mm-hmm. You know, it's But this seems to have turned people's opinions on Cage. Or people are now like, they're more likely to admit being a Nick Cage fan yeah. than they were before that film came out. There was still a little bit of that so bad it's goodness about Nick Cage, which I mm-hmm. think this film has managed to dispel that myth somewhat. Stu, obviously you were a fan as well when we spoke about it before. It is a great, ro- uh, yeah, it is a romance, isn't it? It's two men who come together and sort of fall in love with each other. Well, it's it's three men if you count the different versions of himself. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a wonderful film again. Um like Sonic 2, I mean, what a comparison. Like Sonic 2, <laughs> I had no right being as good as it actually ended up being and surprised quite a few of us. Even us, I mean, it was the one, I saw the teaser of it and I thought, okay. But then we've, we've been, we've talked about this before, our, our Nick Cage trailers, especially with Jiu-Jitsu, had <laughs> fooled us in the past. Yeah. So went in with an open mind and then the reviews were coming in and the Rotten Tomatoes score and everything and you think, okay. This is something special, and it really was. It was great, and it was it was good fun, and it's one of them where we can now say to, like you said, we can now say to people, "Oh, it's a Nick Cage film," and then don't just kind of roll their eyes and say, "Oh, what the guy from The Rock or Con Air or mm-hmm. whatever like that." So yeah, I mean, it, it was important for that sense, and the fact that it was a damn good fun film as well. Yeah, I mean, it still sat on eighty six percent on the Tomato Meter. 87 for the audience score. So obviously at this point, that's what we're looking at. It's it's going to be around the 9 out of 10 for most people, which is fantastic for, for Nick Cage and long may it continue. Uh, what's the romance film you've got on your list, though, Shu? Again, not not technically romance in the in the 
the normal sense of the word, but it's more a case of falling back in love with the, oneself, and that's good luck to you, Leo Grande, which ordinarily okay. I would never in a million years watch something like this. But Emma Thompson, I, okay, fine, we'll give it, I'll give, I don't know why, what, what possessed me to watch this. Um, <laughs> Because normally I think I look at it and think, you look at the, the boy there, a 55-year-old widow is yearning for some adventure, human connection, and some sex, good sex. So <laughs> not normally my kind of bag. But you know what? It's one of the best films I've seen all year, period. It, it's wow. really, really superb. And I mean, she's. it's more of a case of a, a woman who's had a, a dire sex life, a missionary only for 30 odd years. Her husband's died and now she's hired a, well, what do you call them? Male escort to kind of pepper up. And the fact that she's a school teacher and she's going down that she makes a checklist of things that she wants to do, like <laughs> give blowjob, receive oral and all these kind of things. And you think, okay, it's generally warm and funny. And it's really a two person performance, but it's about her. And this sounds so wanky coming from me. It's her finding herself as a woman again. Mm. It's fucking superb, and you know, and you know what? Fair play to Wayne Rooney. He was he was ahead of the game with this gilf stuff because for someone of her age, <laughs> looking like that on screen, there was movement. I'm telling you now, there was movement. <laughs> but as, as a romance film, for as important as it is for for I'm, I'm presuming of, of women of that age, this is going to be one of them things that okay, we've got something for us now. Like menopausal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a genuinely, genuinely really good, superb film to watch, and you'll love it, especially. Yeah, I. It was one I wanted to watch just because I, I really like Emma Thompson, but I just haven't got around to it yet. You'll but like her even I, more now. <laughs> I'm kind of amazed that that's made it onto your list. Because as you say, that's a very not Stew Hall kind of a movie. <laughs> so excellent. I imagine the audience for that was very much like when we went to see uh, Last Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Uh, my romantic film, I'd got everything everywhere all at once, was like the runner-up because there was quite a sweet little love story bubbling underneath. I know it was mostly about the mother and her daughter, but the whole stuff with Wayman and um, the main character. just It was lovely, it was really sweet. Uh, but the film that I've really enjoyed and had absolutely zero expectations of was The Lost City, uh, the Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum film. I thought it looks like it's going to be silly bollocks, but I've got an unlimited card, so it's not going to cost me anything. And it ended up being a really good, fun film. It was the kind of film that the original Tomb Raiders needed to be. It was the kind of film that Uncharted needed to be. It was a good film where it was rushing through the jungle to get to the lost city to break the curse or whatever nonsense it was, but with a real heart to it with between Sandra and uh, Channing. And Brad Pitt's appearances in it was really funny. I, I do like Brad Pitt anyway, in fairness, but his short stay on screen was excellent. It, it, it shouldn't have been anywhere near as good as it was. And it did help having uh, Daniel Radcliffe as well, because he's another actor who just doesn't give a shit, but seems to just want to do whatever's fun. And you could tell he had the most fun he's had on camera, mm-hmm. being this this dickhead wannabe villain. And it was wonderful. Um, yeah, really surprised me, but ended up being a really good blast of a film. 
yeah, loved it. So that's the good. Um, I want you to tell me something that isn't so good. What's let you down this year, Stu? Light year. Eat nice and easy. Shit. I just, <laughs> I can't believe it, has, it was the film that it was. After after 20 odd years of, to, well, yeah, I know it's not Toy Story, so we get that out of the, out the way first. <laughs> and I kind of hinted at it a couple of weeks ago and all. It's just not a good film. It's just boring. And you think a film like that, which I know when I put it on Twitter and people moan, oh, me and my kids loved it. Well, fair play. Yeah, at heart, it is a kid's film. But it's just, it just rehashes of things that we've seen before, but in a really mm. bad way. And it's just kind of sellotaped together and you can see where the joins are. And I say it doesn't make sense. It does make sense and that's kind of makes it a bit more boring. And... I don't care about all the, the stuff that all the, the controversial things, whatever it is, what it is, but it's just not very good. And not being very good is more disappointing than just meh. And yeah, it just thinking about it. I mean, when we talk, when we went to see Elvis and we were talking beforehand, um, me and Pricey and she was saying that it, it crushed, crushed her dreams listening to me slag it off two weeks ago. <laughs> she loves Buzz Lightyear. And I said, well, you can love Buzz Lightyear because you've got the actual toy Buzz Lightyear films. Just leave it at that. Just don't, don't get it ruined by this nonsense or whatever this is supposed to be. Because it might just be me ranting on again. Who knows? But I just it really didn't like it at all. Mm. Um. The, the critics haven't really been that kind to it. A lot of them saying that it's sanitised, that it's a bit empty. There's not a lot of heart to it, which I think he seems to be like the biggest criticism uh-huh. of it. Yeah, I mean, I was really looking forward to it, but I, I haven't got round to it. And at this point, I'm probably going to wait for it to come out onto Disney Plus, just because the reviews have really soured me against it, and there's other films out. So yeah, it's it's quite sad really to to see what's quite a beloved franchise, even though, as you say, it's not properly Toy Story, but it's franchise adjacent, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, it's a shame. Matt, what's let you down this year? Um, it's a strange one, really, this. Um, and probably a bit of a deep cut to most, but to precursors, I listened to Phil Wang's excellent audiobook earlier in the year, and um, it's a really fantastic book that, that talks about his struggles with being both British and Malaysian, never really fitting into one category or the other, um, and what it's like being multicultural in, uh, sorry, multicultural, being uh, of, of two ethnic backgrounds um, and uh, not feeling like he's accepted in either one and talks about the differences between the two cultures. Um, and it was really entertaining and it was a good listen. It was funny. And I've enjoyed his stand-up before. And then I watched Philly Philly Wang Wang, on Netflix mm. and it was shite. It really, I really didn't enjoy it. Um, it was filmed during lockdown when things were starting to open up. So there were like, there were huge gaps in between audience members. And it was, it was obviously a really um, stripped down show in terms of like the audience, but God, you can tell. And if there was ever a point where you could, you should really just, cut your losses it would have been with this special because it kind of it was just really just dis- it's put me off 
wanting to like him as a comedian if that's what his stand-up is like now because pre-pandemic when I've seen him in other things he was hilarious but mm. there was just something about this show that I really didn't enjoy and it was a bit disappointing to be honest and and it's kind of soured my enjoyment of him as a as, as a comedian mm. he was excellent on Taskmaster really enjoyed him on Taskmaster uh, but yet same as you I didn't love the, the stand-up show I feel sometimes when comedians try and do the storytelling overarching theme, if that doesn't hit the nail on the head, it sort of ruins the rest of the show. No matter how good the incidental gags are, you need to have a strong theme throughout it. And it didn't work for me either in those terms, unfortunately. No, this is why I'm th- I'm worried about... So I'm on and on about the... Um... The Troy Hawk thing, the greatest. Kill. I want to go see him. Yeah, because oh, that is superb. That is a brilliant idea. And you look at the clips on YouTube of him doing his stand-up stuff, and yeah, it's just a posh guy in a, in a smoking jacket on stage. And everyone who's seen it seems to say it's amazing, but I'm kind of trepidatious about it for that reason as well. That do you stretch out a character too much? Um, I don't mm. know. Works perfectly fine in three minute chunks, but when you've then got to do twenty times that into an hour long show, it is the character really there? Because it's very two dimensional, isn't it, in what he does? But obviously, there's no character development as such in a TikTok video. So mm. yeah, it's, it's a, a good question to raise. That is to be fair, Stu. Uh, my letdown of the year. Um, I'd put the Adam Project the Ryan Reynolds Netflix film. But then I don't know if I had really high expectations of it. I'd like Ryan Reynolds for the most, as we've discussed, but his shtick is getting a little bit tired. And it was very much more of the same. There was not really a lot of depth or or exploration of what it meant to be a man out of, literally out of time in the wrong time period. Um, So it ended up being a little bit flat. And the other film was Uncharted. It, it was dog shit. It was just, it was vapid, vacuous nonsense. It wasn't exciting, which is the worst thing you can say about that genre of film. If nothing else, I should be wanting them to get to the end to get hold of the gold or whatever it was. I can't even remember at this point. It was just white noise for two hours. They may have just put a fucking vacuum on screen for two hours. And that would have been as much as exciting as it got, to be perfectly honest, for me. Um, if I'm being brutally honest, it's probably the worst film I've seen this year. In, <laughs> cinema, in cinema, at least, I think it's probably the worst film I've seen this year. So look out for that one in the bottom five films of 2022, I think. Uh, so the final one is, what is the Tiger King Award? So that's the one thing that everybody in the world should be watching. Who's winning the Tiger Award for the second year in the row for you, Stu? I mean, it's bending it a little bit because it did only come, it came out here in 20, this year. Um, I did talk about it briefly, and that was um, Yellow Jackets, which is now mm-hmm. going to be on Paramount Plus when that launches, if that's out now. I saw it a lot on it the is, yeah. So sorry, all around the British Grand Prix, there the, the, was all the um, signage everywhere, and I thought, well, that's a bit over the top. I've never seen that before. Um, but literally everything on there, like Halo and South Park and Yellow Jackets, I've already seen it all anyway. So and Star Trek, so there's waste of time now until next year's and the, the second season. But yeah, really, really good, um, good fun, silly nonsense. But it's got an overarching theme, and it's been renewed for another three years. So 
um, get on that. Other other than that, one that doesn't get talked about anywhere, and I don't know why, is Severance um, mm. on Apple TV Plus, which is, I mean, you, you think about the concept of the severance process itself is where you, you cut your mind in half with the uh, the help of an implant. So you go to work, you go down in the lift, and it switches your brain from normal mode to work mode. And then the next thing you, as your normal self know, is you getting out the lift to go home. So your work life is separate from your home, your, your actual life. And it's a case of, well, your work life stays at work at all times. Mm. Your home life stays at home at all times. And the kind of the split in the brain and what that does to people. It's fucking amazing. And the cast is superb. So, yeah, severance. Everyone, even if you don't watch Apple TV Plus, just go and steal it from somewhere. Just watch it. It's a, it's amazing. <laughs> mm. I, to be honest, I've I've only heard good things about it, but no one's actually told me what the story is. So that sounds really interesting because that's such a unique way to look at the world of having two selves effectively and what that would do to the other half of you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I need to watch that now. I think, Matt. Who's the Tiger Water winner this year? I mean, purely because of how massive it is. Uh, mentioned it already once, um, but there are still a few bizarre people out there that haven't given Stranger Things a chance because of they see it as a dorky. Um, they see it as everything that, that they see Hellfire as like a dorky D&D kind of show, whereas actually mm. it, it's not that at all. And it, it is something that deserves an audience. It's a wonderful, wonderful show that is all about, yeah, you've got your horror elements, but there's a such there's such a strong story about relationships in that programme. Um and they they go from the subtle to the massively unsubtle, but there's there's real heart and character in this show as well as there being like visually it's great and all of its horror and fantasy elements audio like the music in it in in all four series I'm a bit sick of Kate Bush now if I'm honest I'm, I'm <laughs> I've I've had too much I've yeah. ran up I've ran up the hill now and I want to get off um, but everybody just needs to grow up and watch it stop being stop stop doing it now out of spite because you you want to be cool just watch Stranger Things. Are these people yeah. the ones who didn't deliberately didn't watch um, Game of Thrones as well? Just because everyone was doing it, so they had to be edgy, you know? Yeah. They're, they're the people on Twitter who, every time something new comes out, oh, I've never watched an episode. Well done, dickhead. Do you want a fucking <laughs> cookie? Like, yeah, cool. <laughs> I've got exactly the same. It's Stranger Things. That's what everyone should watch. I'd said to you earlier, Matt... Season five needs to really fumble it for this to not be one of my absolute favourite TV shows of all time. Mm-hmm. It so far it has been exceptional TV. It's been excellent. My favourite show is probably Breaking Bad. I think Breaking Bad's excellent TV, and even that had a bit of a shit final season. It didn't quite hit the heights that the other seasons did. So as long as Stranger Things season five hits a six out of ten. I think it's going to be like the best show that's ever been made. It is wonderful. And it is about that heart, that link between the characters. As you say, it's not subtle in parts, like where Will is telling him that you're the heart of the group and he's literally got a heart on his shield. Like they proper ran home some po- at some points, but it's wonderful for it. It works for it. It works on so many levels because there is clearly that other story there where we've got the character who's about to come out as well. 
and it's just teasing it that little bit. A lot of people have criticised it as queer baiting because it looks as though he's going to be coming out, but he hasn't. But when you place it in the fact that this is set in the, the 1980s, it's not as easy as it is now. And I wouldn't say it would be easy for, for queer people to come out now. So I can only imagine it would be a hell of a lot more difficult then. Well, after, so I think socially, it's fantastic. After only, Sorry, watching, after only watching two episodes of season four, I can pretty much, since it's been kind of teased for the last three three seasons anyway, I can kind of guess who you're on about. So is it is it really, if it's him you're talking about? Because it seemed pretty obvious, really, to me. It's been there throughout, hasn't it, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, you are right, yeah. But it, it's excellent. And I've got to say, I think each actor just seems to have got better and better as it's gone on. And how many times have we said on this podcast how fucking dreadful child actors generally are? But at no point have I hated any of the child actors on this show. They've all come in and they've all hit a home run. They've been wonderful They've been an, an excellent part to a really strong series. Mm. Right, so next week we'll be looking at the second half of 2022, so that will be the last few weeks of July through to December. Um, please make sure you've got us on whatever podcatcher you're listening to. If you could leave us a review, we would love you forever. Uh, so for this week, Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Don't listen to him about Uncharted, it's great. Ta-ra. <laughs> Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves and check in on your pals. See you later. It's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. Thanks for sticking around. So... Because of how things have worked out, we couldn't fit in a Thor viewing before we recorded the last podcast. So we thought we'd tack it on to the end as a bit of a post-credit extra scene. We'll take it in turns because I've got a lot to say. Stu, take the floor on what did you think of Thor, Love and Thunder? Well, before I say anything, let's just, let's just revert back to what happened in the group chat. I, capital letters, hated that. It was so bad I started to reconsider <laughs> Take it as a good director. I'm so annoyed. Where was the fun? I'm furious. <laughs> Absolute silliness. I mean, at, at the minute, what is it on? I should have looked this up. It's on 81% audience score, 5,000 plus reviews, um, 68% from the critics. I said when I came out of it that I enjoyed it a lot, that it was probably 7, 7.5, and that would be perfectly fine. Nothing. It's not. It's like Ragnarok 1.2, 1.2, 1.5, wherever. It's not as good as Ragnarok because that's like almost like top tier. But it's the same kind of vibe. I had a lot of fun watching it. Again, as everyone knows, I didn't watch any trailers, so I went in, didn't know anyone who was in it, other than the obvious. Um, so the, the few surprises that did pop up and a few new characters that came in was an actual shock to me. And I think if that had been ruined, maybe I wouldn't have had such a positive outlook on it. But I, I was in the screen, I was in the first, I was in the first screening other than the midnight showing. So 10 to 11 on a Thursday afternoon, <laughs> which is insane really um, for normal people. Yet there was about 50 people in there. 
You think, okay, they, they, these are not just shift workers. I mean, these people have had like, days off work. And there, there was almost constant laughter throughout the whole thing. And I don't know if that's influenced me and how much fun I had with it. And if I'd have giggled along because it might be one of them like, osmosis things. I don't know. But I came out with a big smile on my face and I enjoyed it. And yeah, I think when I, I ranked it and I, I put it on Twitter, it's currently at, again, should have looked this up before. <laughs> it, it's currently <laughs> at 17 out of 29. So pretty much bang in the middle, which I think is about fair. It's not. It's nothing new. It's nothing special. Um, it's almost paint by numbers Marvel stuff. If you like that, you like that. If you don't like that, you don't like that. And I think the villain was the same as every other Marvel villain, pretty much. Um, <laughs> which I did think was the bad point because I thought oh, he's gonna. There's gonna be something different here. And the fact that he didn't want to do it and he only did it for his kids, which is out there anyway. I still, I thought he'd, he'd put in a decent performance. Everything being said, um, from what he had to work with, but again, the, the silliness and the Korg stuff, very, very fun. Um, and uh, Guardians at the start as well. I'd have liked them to have been in it a bit more than they were, um, but then it's not a Guardians film; it's a Thor film. But yeah, overall, I, I, I enjoy myself and. In 40-odd days, when it comes on Disney+, Plus, I'll watch it again straight away, like I did with Shang-Chi. Obviously, there's one film that I didn't watch that straight away again for, and it's nowhere <laughs> near that, and I don't think anything will be. But when you said, oh, it's, uh, it's on a par with, I thought, well, no, you're just being silly now. You're just trying to wind me up, because it's not. Um, but I am going to have to watch that nonsense again soon, because it it's going to come to a stage where Eternals is going to matter to the, the wider think why yeah, don't MCU all together and I, I know that day will come and I know I'm going to have to force myself to do it but at this moment in time it's not happening and at this moment in time that film Thor Love and Thunder is smack bang in the middle of the quality wise and enjoyment wise for me out of all of them and now turn down your microphones <laughs> turn down your <laughs> turn down your earphones turn down your devices because the rage is coming. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the when I'd put that in the group about Tyker because I'd forgot about it. But yesterday, because I was in such a rage thinking, is Waititi <laughs> actually a shit director? I watched Boy, Eagle versus Shark, Hunt for the Wild of People, and Jojo Rabbit. I, I watched all of the Tyker Waititi films that I hadn't already seen. I mean, I'd seen Jojo Rabbit, but I'd watched all the others because I thought I need to figure out if it's if it's just this film. Or if he's actually a hack. Uh, it turns out he's just this film, thankfully. <laughs> because all the other films, fantastic, had a really good time. Um, but oh, now I need to talk about Thor. <laughs> <laughs> had this film have stopped after two minutes, I would have enjoyed myself. Because at this two-minute mark, when uh, you see Christian Bale's character, Gore, he's sat in front of a rock with his daughter, and his daughter has scribbled all different stuff onto the rock. She scribbled a what looks like a man bat in front of Christian Bale. There is a Batman there. And I thought, brilliant. I love it. I'm so invested. They know what they're going to do. They're going to look at the comic book world and it's going to be great. And then it went a little bit further, didn't it? <laughs> right. The first thing, the comedy. The screaming goats weren't funny. 
like I looked at YouTube before we recorded this because I needed to figure out when the screaming goat meme was a thing. Nine years ago was a video of the screaming goat. Nine years. That's how tired that joke is. It's almost a decade old at this point. I didn't. I, I didn't even know that this was a thing. You've never seen the screaming goat. No. There's like so many versions where people have put them into pop songs and stuff like this. Where if a in a pop song there's a bit of a scream thing, they'll put a screaming goat in there. Like it's just such a tired meme now at this point. A decade on, it didn't work. I thought the comedy in general was pretty lackluster. In my screening, there was like a couple of I, I don't know, maybe twelve to fourteen year olds silent throughout the whole fucking film. They didn't laugh once. I had some Marvel nonce sat a seat <laughs> but one away from me. He was fucking silent. He was there in his Marvel t-shirt and everything. So I thought, well, he's going to love it. Silent throughout the whole film. The whole film, the whole cinema was just silent for this movie. The constant gag about getting the, the name wrong. That has become such a Marvel trope. It's in every fucking film that they make this gag about someone's name. Korg calling her Jane Foster. And I was like, oh, just, just rein it in. We've heard it. It wasn't funny when you did it in fucking Iron Man. It's not funny now, 20-odd years later almost. But it feels 20-odd years later. The running gag about Stormbreaker being jealous of Thor's ex, both <laughs> Mjolnir and Jane. Boring, tedious. Like... No one cares. The catchphrase stuff with Jane, that's not funny. It was just exhausting to the whole film. This constant need to try and shoehorn a fucking gagging when it wasn't necessary. It was tiresome. Moving on to the new characters, Zeus. Fucking hell. I thought Russell Crowe was supposed to be Zeus, not Jared Leto being Aldo (laughs) Gucci. Like, that's who it was. It was Jared Leto doing Aldo Gucci. Hey, it's me, Zeus, this time. Like, no, awful. I just, I literally got, was that Jared Leto <laughs> in a Russell Crowe suit? Uh, uh, but, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, but that was, I mean, because like I said, I didn't expect it or know anything yeah. about him being in this film. And I thought, oh, okay. And then he, when he started <laughs> mincing around, <laughs> <laughs> and with that stupid accent, and I thought, I, I mean, at first I was la- I was laughing at the whole absurdity of the whole thing, um, and then obviously when the naked thing and all that kind of stuff, um, but it was how he was walking as well. He was walking like he does in everything Gucci. about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything maybe, about it, it was Gucci. I mean, maybe. The, I mean, which was made, well, you don't know when, it, when they were made here because of the whole nonsense, but if it, was, it, if it wasn't influenced by or it wasn't a piss take of, it's a very good coincidence because it was pretty much exactly the same. It was, yeah. Uh, moving on to Gore the God Butcher. God Butcher. We didn't see him butcher anybody. You saw him kill one God right at the very beginning. And he only killed him out of self-defense. He didn't butcher him. He defended himself by killing this person who was trying to kill him. Like, he was probably the most interesting character in this film. Like, his motivation and his look, the way he moved and he manipulated his world, I found quite interesting. The problem was he was only on screen for about 10 minutes. Like, he had such little to do, but he was the best thing in it. 
And then right at the very end, they just turn him into being this lame, normal MCU villain that he's not really the bad guy after all of it, when he should have been. He's supposed to be the god busher for crying out loud. In a shock to no one, the kids were fucking annoying as fuck in it. <laughs> shock. The queer baiting, I had an issue with that throughout. Like, non-straight people exist. It is not a big deal to have gay people in a film. But they kept teasing this sort of... This queerness to Valkyrie, this woman who is supposed to be Thor's equal. Thor, if he sees a woman he likes, he just grabs her and kisses her. Valkyrie can't do that. Valkyrie is very much just on the edge, this almost mopey teenager where she talks about loving someone, but not really because it's another woman and hated all of that. The stuff with Korg talking about his two dads, when in the last film he was talking about his mom and sister being there. He doesn't come from a race just of men that he says in this film. He told us like a film ago... So not even that long ago that women also existed. I hated the joke he made about his boyfriend being called Dwayne because Dwayne the Rock, hilarious, (laughs) awful. The established characters. So I like Taika Waititi. I like him as an actor as well as a director. But he was shit in this film. He was there purely as the narrator. On three occasions, he gave us just exposition dump. Right at the beginning, he explains everything that's gone on. Halfway through the film, he explains everything that's going on in the film. And right at the end, he explains everything we've just seen in the film. I'm not a fucking idiot. You don't need to tell me what I've just watched. Absolutely fucking livid at the end of this movie. The dog shit fake out deaths that kept happening. There's like five times in this film where we thought someone was going to die and then they came right back out at the end of it. They undid it either by making a joke of it almost within seconds of someone dying, like at the beginning when you thought she was dead on the battlefield and then she wanted to be left to die because that's how she gets into Valhalla, only to find out, oh, she's not really dead. Then why do all of that? Just don't make a fucking joke of it. Let the moment settle. Let the moment breathe. Though they did it by making a joke out of it or they completely undid a death that should have been the ramifications for the rest of Thor's life. They just fucking undid it completely <laughs> within minutes. Awful. The ugliest post-pandemic film we have seen as well from Marvel. That is a low bar to get under because all of Marvel's CG and settings have looked really poor post-pandemic. This one was the worst. Whoever was the locations manager should be fired. They should never work again. That big first fight scene that we see with the Vikings when they fought the um, the spider demon things that came in, that looked like it was shot on the Tesco car park in Wolverhampton. You know what's happened? You know when, since um, you look at Obi-Wan and how they deliberate, it deliberately made it look like the prequels, that seems to have had a knock-on effect here where... It looked like a cartoon, and you can. I mean, you. We literally talked about this like what an hour ago, <laughs> half hour ago, about how good <laughs> that nonsense Nicholas Cage. <laughs> well, you've listened to it, you know. Well, that this is that, going out before uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland, so yeah. Well, again, it's going to make no difference whatsoever. Prisoners of Ghostland is is a spectacle to behold, and it was made last year with half a quarter of the budget, whatever. That looked better 
that looked more grounded. The composition was better. Everything looked more in-world. What's happened with this stuff, Obi-Wan looked like the prequels. A deliberate choice to make it blend in. Fine, not a problem. But Jedi Fallen Order, the game looked better than Obi-Wan in its own way. Um, the pandemic stuff, as we said, all the way th- through Phase 4 has been dodgy. Or the, the only thing that's actually kind of worked is Miss Marvel, because that seems to be the last one, and they've got, got out of this nonsense now. And even that's not back to where it used to be. But, yeah, it it looked... I don't know, I keep saying this. The Prime Directive's version of Robocop. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it was this was it was like it was made for streaming yeah and uh, why just why and they can't be using i know america's still mad about the whole uh, masks and whatever but you can't be doing this anymore <laughs> surely people work, work remotely beforehand and there's so many studios working like that and they blend it together at the end anyway but nothing matched nothing no, not at all looked there was even things like just how things sat. Like they didn't seem the same. Like they didn't seem like they belonged. Like the weight was all off mm-hmm. in certain things. Like it just looked odd. I mean, it, it, this is, I mean, I'm agreeing with this because it's, it's anyone with eyes can see this. <laughs> um, but it, it does seem to be a massive problem there because it, it's not getting any better. <laughs> and it's not. No. When does it stop? How yeah. many more we've got? We've got left because I mean, uh, She Hulk's gonna be. I mean, it was already ropey anyway, but yeah. I've got no hope for that visually now. After looking at the, looking at this, I mean, you, you you compare Ragnarok and then you put this. If you watch them back to back, it's gonna be shocking. And it looks like two different films from complete different studios, doesn't it? Back to back, they're just yeah. so disparate. Yeah, they don't match at all. When it's the same people literally the same people making both of them mm-hmm. it's you know it, it's other there's something awry there it's not a money issue clearly but working working in the this environment's clearly had an effect on them because it's and it is just them it's no one else because you I mean you only have to look at the uh, the wonder that is avatar way of the water in, uh, in december and look how amazing that looks Mm-hmm. Regardless of what you think of Avatar, you look at how amazing that film looks, and that's been made in the same situations and the same restrictions. So there's no excuse anymore. No, nope. it just it, it looks like it's being farmed out, which is yeah worrying. Well, I, I read a report on Twitter, was it Twitter or Reddit? I can't remember. And someone was talking about the way Marvel work, and they will tell their creators, and and they do farm a lot of work out. They will tell the people who are working for them. Oh, we just want to see a different model. Like two weeks before the fucking films are due to go out, they will want to see a different model of a you know a creature that they may have invented or whatever. These things take months, not two weeks. So part of me does wonder if it's actually Marvel slash Disney Marvel and not great when it comes to handling these things. Maybe they're just a bit shit when it comes down to it. But it's funny that you mentioned that it looked cartoony because I've also got here some of the stuff when they were flying through the space void looked better when they did it in the Hanna-Barbera cartoons in the 1980s. Like, <laughs> it, it looked that level of animation. 
But my last, my final point on why I hated this film. Like the whole movie was trying to cock a snook at superhero movies. When you look at that opening scene between Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor's character was supposed to be bored with the world, with what has become. Basically, everything that's preceded this film, he's no tired of it. He just wants to sit there and meditate. So he's basically telling us everything that's happened to him is boring. That is such a fucking insult to your core audience who has been there for 28 films at this point that you're now saying that one of the main characters is bored of that world. That is such an insult. That is making everything that has gone before just completely inconsequential. And this film, two hours later, ends with inconsequentialness again. This whole film was just vapid. It was vacuous. It was completely throwaway. I honestly think it's one of the worst three Marvel films that have been made. It was abysmal. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I despise this film. At least Eternals looked better. That's the only positive I've got. Eternals looked better. That's the only reason I think that might be a slightly better film because they were both shit, but that looked slightly better. Was that was Eternals last year? Was it year before? It was December. Was it last December last year? I think. I believe it was because it's not on my twenty twenty two list. It wouldn't be on mine either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> most of the stuff would have been done, though, wouldn't it? That's that's what the point we're making. Um, for I believe that. so. Other than pickup work and stuff. Um, it was November 2021. Eternals. Yeah. So and that started, yeah, because I remember when because they had to stop halfway, didn't they? Um, for obvious reasons. But yeah, I mean, I took it when when I came out the whole thing about him being bored. I thought it, that was like a kind of um, like an audience kind of substitute thing, like taking the piss in the other way, like saying, "Oh, you've watched twenty eight of these now. Now you're bored with it as well." That's what I that's what I took from it. So I thought, I thought oh, this is going to appeal to you because uh, you, <laughs> you you hating it every every three months or so, having to put yourself through this all the time. Um, <laughs> That's what I, t- I thought. I, maybe it was being too clever for its own good, um, and me thinking too much of it. But, but to me, it made it sound like the studio were bored of it as well. Mm. I just found it insulting. And the thing is that the fans are sort of bored. I mean, Phase Four has basically been a flop so far, hasn't it? Let's be honest. The the best film it was Spider Man. I think it's probably the best recep- uh, best reception film. All the the receptions for everything else have been middling at best so i think fatigue is setting for the fans and this film made me think it's setting for the studio as well and we've only got another 50 of these fucking films to watch in the next 12 months <laughs> anyway let's leave it there i think Stu, because otherwise we'll be here all night <laughs> so uh just quickly rate it out of five if you will um Three seems harsh, but I can't give it a four. But I mean, it's bang in the middle of my my twenty nine, so it's got to be bang in the middle of the ratings. For I mean, it's a if you stretch it, I'll go three nine, three point nine, just to just to get it under there. Um, but yeah, three out of five, not bad, okay. not the best. If you like this stuff, you'll enjoy this. It's pain by numbers, Marvel film. Nothing, nothing new. Just don't expect the world, and don't expect Ragnarok because you're not going to get it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to give it a one star because I thought it was dross. 
The only reason it's getting one star, there's one scene in the middle where Thor goes to Gore's world. I love the artwork in that. They're black and white with that slight bit of colour that comes in every now and again. Mm. So that was really well done. That's the only positive in that two-hour runtime. Right, anyway, so Stu, do you want to say goodbye again? I was going to do a South African accent. <laughs> I thought best not. <laughs> yeah, just go and watch it, people. You won't be disappointed unless you're Andy. Try. Yeah, don't waste your time and be excellent to each other.